If you will uh, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6 in your Bibles. If you need a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you. And uh, Today we finish up our study of 1 Timothy. And the reality is, I say that, but yet we, we could circle back and begin in 1 Timothy 1.1 today and preach another 13 sermons on 1 Timothy 6. And I promise you that there's more to glean. I promise you there, there would be more to draw out from that. I could preach an entire different 13 sermons to, to reveal truth that's found here in 1 Timothy. That's the beauty of, as Hebrews 4 says, we have a living word. We have a word that is alive, that is sharper than a double-edged sword, and it, it never runs dry. We, we, we never tire, we never exhaust not only who God is, but the truths of His Word. And that's the beauty, again, of having a living Word, a Word that is alive. And today Paul closes out chapter 6, and we'll do the same. And, and next week, uh, just to give you a heads up, so this summer I want to spend some time working through our, our statement of beliefs. I want to I preach a series this summer and each week look at just progressively walk through our statement of beliefs. I want to make sure that we as a church understand what we believe, can defend what we believe, understand why we don't believe what others believe. My, my, my fear is, my fear is, is that, that we don't know what we don't know. My, my fear is, is that we think we know more than we really know. And, and each week... Um, so each week we're going to work through uh, 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 one of our, our, our doctrinal statements. And, and I'm just forewarning you, we're, we, we're going to give, a, I say we because I'm going to have some help preaching through this. Uh, we have elders here at Odessa that are more than capable of preaching. And, and uh, we're going to, just giving you a heads up, we're going, I know school is out and it's the summer, but each week we're going to offer a little quiz that's pertinent to that doctrine that we're going to be teaching and, and we're going to let you take that quiz i'm not going to collect it nobody else is going to see it but we're going to grade it in front of you and i i, I want I, I my fear again is that we don't know what we don't know my fear is we have a tendency to overestimate what we do know and, and it's not to to trick us it's not to be uh it's not to it's not to do anything other than to to help us realize that maybe in all of our lives there's room for growth Maybe there's, there's, in all of our lives, maybe there are areas that God has revealed himself that we just, we haven't taken the time to study. We haven't taken the time to get to know. And if we think we know what we don't know, we tend to not pursue that. And so it, it, it's not, it's, it's not going to be, it's not meant to trick you. They're not meant to dumbfound you. They're meant to just, to just to see what we know about the simple truth, whether it be God, whether it be Jesus Christ, whether it be the Trinity, whether it be the Word of God, whatever, whatever the doctrine is that we're going to look at that week. We, we need to be as Timothy, as Paul has said to Timothy here, the church is the pillar and the support of truth. And we need to make sure that we know that truth. We're, we're called to steward truth well. God has revealed Himself. We, we need to be good stewards of that revelation. We need to, to know Him well through that revelation, that he has revealed himself. And, and, you know, we need to make sure that we're as believers, that we're, we're, we're not, as he talks about in 1 Corinthians 3 or Hebrews 5, that we're not okay being immature. That, that we move past the elemental things. And so I, I certainly want us as a church to, to understand our doctrine, to understand what we believe, to understand why we believe what we believe. And so starting next week, uh, we'll begin that. Again, the, the, it's not going to be like a 50-question quiz. I think they're, they're true or false. Tony is helping me to write them. So if you don't like them, blame him. Um, he's my scapegoat. No, but uh, they're, 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 meant, they're just basic truths. Basic truths that we as believers ought to know. 1 Timothy 3.15 says, But set apart, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to give a defense of the hope that is in you, and yet do it with gentleness 
and respect. If we don't know what we believe, I promise you this, you're not going to defend it. You're not going to put yourself out there. I, I, was, I was just this past Tuesday, one of our members asked me to go visit somebody in the hospital on their behalf. And I, it's always, it can be awkward to walk in a hospital room where you don't know the individual and they don't know you. And, and uh, so, but I, 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 can, I can strike up a conversation with just about anybody. And so we started talking and the guy said, I said, well, you know, how you doing? What are you, what, what are you learning through this? You know, he says, you know, when I get out of here, there's some things got to change. And I said, really, what's that? And he says, you know, me and, so I started sharing the gospel with him. And he says, I, you know, God and I got a deal worked out. I'm like, well, okay, tell me about the deal. I'm interested in this deal. You know, maybe I want to get on the deal. You know, and, and, and so for about an hour we chatted. And he was just peppering me with questions. And finally I had to say, you know, buddy, and I, and I hope I said this with gentleness and respect, 1 Peter 3.15 commands that I do that. But, and my son was there, Bradley was there, he's kind of looking at me. Like, I didn't sign up for this. This is how I want to spend my summer in a hospital room. But I said, listen, God's only got one deal. And he's offered the same deal to all humanity. The, the, look, we have a sin problem. The reason you're in this hospital room, the reason, the reason you know, we, we deal with sin and sickness and cancer and death and all that is because we have a sin problem. God offers, He's offered one deal. He's offered one solution in how to rectify that sin problem, how to deal with that sin problem, and it's through the, the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. See, sin, demand, uh, sin demanded that somebody die. The wages of sin is death. God, in His great love and mercy, He crucified His Son, Jesus Christ, so that in His righteousness, as a righteous, good judge, He could forgive, He could rightly forgive sinners. Why? Because the penalty for your sin, the penalty for my sin, was paid. Jesus paid it. All throughout the Bible, you see a common theme, propitiation, a payment, a satisfactory payment. Why did all those lambs and goats and all those things die in the Old Testament? Because sin had a price to pay. Le Leviticus 16, the Day of Atonement. One, one, lamb would be one lamb would be slaughtered, the other lamb would be sent off into the wilderness. It was a picture that your sin and my sin were dealt with through Jesus Christ. They were cast away through the blood of Jesus Christ. They could be. You could be forgiven rightly. God, as a perfect holy judge, could rightly forgive a sinner, could invite a sinner into his presence rightly. Why? Because Jesus Christ. That's the deal. Somebody, somebody's got to die because you and I are sinners. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sent on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. This is a guy who claimed to be a believer. He grew up in church and he had no clue. Literally, he had no clue what I was talking about. He admitted that. No clue. And Satan had deceived him into believing that he was okay because he had worked out a deal with God. There's one deal. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. No one comes to the Father but through me. And my point is, I was able to converse with this guy and answer his questions. Why? Because I know some of what this word says. I study it. I know what the truth is. I, I was able to engage. I was ready to engage we got to know who what we believe. And we got to be able to defend it in the midst of, in the midst of questions and opposition. And, and again, he was peppering me with questions, which is good. It was good. So, so I want to take the summer and equip us to be a people who go out and can defend our faith, who understand what we believe. And, and that's really what Paul has been saying in this whole letter in Timothy. We, to Timothy, we are the, the, I write this so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar 
and the support of truth. Truth. Even here in our text today, Paul is going to say in verse 3, if anyone advocates a different doctrine, that's truth, and does not agree with the sound words, those of Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing. Truth. We're not free to believe what we want to believe. We're not free to make up a God of our own making. We're not free to make up our own deal with God. He's offered one deal. The, the, the gate is narrow that leads to God. The gate is wide that leads to destruction. Narrow. And, and everything that we see here, everything that we're going to see in chapter 6... Is, is pertaining to that narrow gate. It's contentment in that narrow gate and the author of that narrow gate, God Himself, and the gospel that He authored through Jesus Christ. Contentment. I think all of us, if we were honest, would admit that that's where a lot of our struggles lie. Being content, staying content, how much makes us content? Where's our contentment sourced? Is our contentment circumstantial or is our contentment regardless of circumstances? I mean, and Paul is going to address all of this and more in chapter 6. And my prayer is that we would be challenged to look at our lives and to pursue contentment in the right places, namely the right person, God Himself. That we would be content in, in the gospel that He has made a way for us to be invited into His presence, to be adopted. For Him to become our Father. Second John says, See how great a love the Father has lavished upon us that we could be called children of God and such as we are. That we would be content in how He as a Father loves and cares and sometimes even walks his children and allows his children to go through tough times, but that we would be content in him. That we would be content in him using his children, his soldiers, his army, all, all, all illustrations used in the Bible, that we would be a people that are content in a commanding officer doing whatever he wants to do, whatever he sees fit to do, whatever he sovereignly demands to do through you and me, so long as that gospel is being advanced and, and is growing that we would be content in that. Not in, not in all the things of this world, but that we would be content in God using us for whatever means He deems necessary in order for Him to be glorified. And that's really why we exist. And I, I want to show us that through this passage. So our, our main point, the main point you see it there on your handout, is our contentment involves the pursuit of godliness. Pursuit of godliness that is rooted in God Himself and the gospel by which we have been saved. Contentment doesn't mean we don't work. Contentment doesn't mean we don't labor and strive. Contentment doesn't mean that we're not seeking to grow. Contentment is not laziness. It's not slothfulness. It's not immaturity. It's rooted in a person. It's rooted in God Himself. It's rooted in a, a relationship that He's established with, uh, with sinners, those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, through His death, burial, resurrection, we can, our sins can be propitiated. They can be satisfactorily paid for. Our debt can be wiped away. Therefore, God can rightly forgive us. He can rightly accept us. He can bring us into His presence. And, and, and our response is this, God, in response to the gospel, do whatever you want through my life. Do whatever you want with my life for your glory. But it's pursuing that godliness. And, and I think Paul divides this section, and what, I, what I've done is divided this section, this chapter into two sections. And I think these are two areas that battle, two main areas that battle for our contentment. And that's what I want us to look at today. Two, two main areas. If we're honest, I think these are the battlefields where our contentment, where, where the war for our contentment is waged. And the first, the first one, in, and it's really verses 1 through 6. Verse 6 is really the, 
the hinge verse in all of this, but our pursuit of godliness involves pursuing and finding contentment in God's glory over our own glory, regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. I think he speaks of circumstances. If we're honest, circumstances, that, that's the, one of the main battlefields where, where our contentment is fought. Circumstances. Health. Your family. Jaw. All that stuff. All the circumstances in life. I think about, I think about Joseph sold into Egyptian slavery. Here's a man that pursued God in the midst of Egyptian slavery, and he said, what you meant for evil to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Contentment. Contentment in God's glory. Contentment in God's purposes. I think about Job. Naked I came into the world, naked I'll leave. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Contentment. In circumstances. I mean, look, look at verse 1 here of chapter 6. All who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that, so that, so that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. That, that's really the overarching principle of what Paul speaks to here. It's about, it's a care for the gospel. It's a care for truth about who God is. It's a, it's a care for the advancement of God's kingdom through the gospel. Whether slaves, whether free, whether rich, whether poor, we can be content. Why? Because of who God is. Who He's declared us to be through the gospel. We can be content because of what He's promised us in any and every situation that we find ourselves in. We can be content because of what he's promised, as Daniel's led us today as well, about what's coming in eternity in the future. And all of that flows, all of that connects to your life, to my life, can enter into your life, my life, through the gospel. It's the gospel. Through the, apart from the, apart from, listen, apart from being a believer, and I had to grace, graciously share this with this man on Tuesday, apart from the gospel, apart from having your sins forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ, here's the deal that's coming to you. Wrath. Wrath. The wrath of God. Due to your sin, due to my sin. That's, God, you're gonna, your sins are going to be judged. You are going to, through Jesus Christ, the good news is this, the wrath of God can be averted. It fell on Him. Instead of me. That, that's, that's, the, that's the gospel. God's wrath, has, God's wrath do my sin. His hatred as a righteous judge, he hates sin. Psalm 5 says he hates those who sin. That has been averted through Jesus Christ for me because I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. All of God's wrath fell on Christ. And all of these blessings, all of these blessings flow into my life through the gospel. Adoption, sonship, forgiveness, grace, all of that flows, everything flows through the gospel. And, and therefore, me making much of God who has saved me in spite of my sin, regardless of circumstances, it, it, it spurs on that contentment. Why? Because as Paul says in Romans 8, none of these circumstances can take away from me what God has offered me in the gospel. Death, life, none of these things, nothing, he says, can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 31, he says, who, who can bring a charge against God's elect? None. Why? Because God has already justified you. He's already forgiven you. He's already declared you to be righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ. If you're a believer, therefore, no charge sticks. Why? Because you've already been forgiven. Forgiven. So, no, so whether you're a slave, whether you're a free man, in this case, Paul is speaking to slaves. That, again, 
please hear, this is not about social change. This is about the gospel and its effects on our lives. This is about having been placed by grace through faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, placed into God's family, and therefore he's our commanding officer. We're his soldiers, we're his slaves, we're his children. The Bible paints all those pictures of us. He can do whatever he wants with us. He can place his soldiers wherever he wants. And this is about the gospel and God using his people to advance the gospel no matter where, no matter how. And Paul's main concern here is with the gospel and the glory of God. It's not with slavery. Paul's not, Paul's not minimizing slavery here. He's not minimizing the tough positions the slaves found their men. He's not endorsing slavery. Exodus 21 says anyone who sells, trades, or does anything like that of another human being is worthy of death. God's word could not be more clear that he hates it. Hates it. It's a violation of love. On every front, it's contrary to the word of God. But slavery is not the main issue Paul is speaking to here. Paul is personalizing the gospel and its effects on its followers no matter their circumstances. The, the question is this, how do Christians respond when they're treated unfairly? That's really the underlying question here. How do you, the church, protect and progress truth and progress the gospel no matter your circumstances? And, and, and again, this was a huge deal for Paul because it's estimated that a third of the Roman population were slaves. Some estimates say that some 50 to 60 million people would have been slaves when Paul is writing this. And, and, and slavery in Rome, it ran the gamut. There was all kinds of variations of slavery. Some were better than others. And in this, Paul's point is this. No follower of Christ was exempt from obedience and from pursuing God's glory, no matter your circumstances. He goes on, he says in verse 2, Those who have believers as their masters must not be disrespectful to them because they are brethren, but must serve them all the more because, of those, who, because those who partake of the benefit are believers and beloved. Teach and preach these principles. He's saying no matter your circumstance, pursue truth and pursue the glory of God. This is about God and His glory being proclaimed no matter the circumstance that you and I believe or find ourselves in. Pursue godliness, pursue the glory of God no matter what. Be content in pursuing godliness, being content in what God is doing in you and through you, conforming you, Romans 8.30, to the image of Christ, progressing the gospel, no matter the circumstances, no matter the circumstances. Here's what he's saying. You and I don't get a pass on, on, on obedience. We don't get a pass on godliness because of our circumstances. That's what he's saying. We don't get a pass. Well, you don't know my boss. You don't know my husband. It doesn't matter. It matters, but it doesn't matter in the sense that you get a pass on obeying the word of God because your circumstances are bad. You don't get a pass. God's glory goes forth most in those circumstances most often. L listen, in 1 Peter 2.18, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also those who are unreasonable. Why? Verse 19, For this finds favor if for the sake of conscience towards God a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if you, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But when you do what is right and suffer for it patiently and endure it, this finds favor with God. Again, God's glory. We can be content no matter the circumstances because of who God is and because of who we are through the gospel. And oftentimes it's an immaturity in understanding who God is. It's an immaturity in understanding who we are that fights the ability for us to be content. We don't really know who our Father is. We don't really know what He's promised to us, what He's promised to do through us, regardless of the circumstances. 
I mean, today, this may, today, we would probably write this to include bad bosses or disobedient spouses or disloyal friends or, or terrorists, maybe. But regardless, we don't get a pass on obedience. We don't get a pass on godliness. E- even in Romans chapter 12, He speaks to this same thing. And and all of this, again, goes back to an understanding of the gospel. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Romans 12, 17 says, Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Again, when you understand the gospel, that is exactly what God did. If you were to go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 and, uh, and following, you'll see that when Jesus was reviled, he offered nothing in return. When he was, when he was brutally beat, he offered nothing in return. He did exactly what he has called his followers to do. Why? Because this is about his glory. This is about the furtherance of his gospel. In, in, chap, in Titus chapter 2, 9 and 10, same thing. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. Why? So that they will adorn the doctrine of our God and Savior in every respect. This is about the gospel. This is about the world around you seeing truth. The advancement, you see it on your hand, of the gospel is the goal of our obedience. No matter the circumstance. Everything we do and go through has a greater purpose. Namely, the glory of God, the advancement of the gospel. Even 1 Peter 3, wives who have disobedient husbands. You know what it says? Win them over without a word. Win them over. Again, the glory of the gospel. Bringing them back. So if any of your husbands are disobedient, it says you may win them over without a word. Respectful, quiet, submissive behavior. And again, all of us are submissive, men and women. That's a theme that runs through. Why? To the glory of God. And it's not about equality. Jesus Christ himself was submissive to his father, even to the point of death. I give you, there's our model. You, wanna, you can go to 1 Peter 2, and it says, Jesus left for us an example in how to suffer well. An example. No matter the circumstance, obedient. It doesn't mean taking physical abuse, criminal activity. There are laws that work in our favor for that. But even then, even then, you're pursuing the glory of God. You don't get a pass. And Paul himself, who wrote this, would know better than anyone. I mean, if you want to talk about credibility, if you want to talk about being able to write this, I mean, if I wrote this, it'd be one thing. But Paul, listen to what Paul knew this firsthand in his own life. He lived this. In, in Philippians 1.12, he says, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances... What were his circumstances in Philippians? He's in jail. Why was he in jail? For preaching the gospel. Listen to what he says. I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that in my imprisonment, in the cause of Christ, has become well known throughout the whole praetorian guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. Do you see our our goal? The defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than pure motives, thinking to cause me distress. And this is what Paul says. He says, verse 18, what then? In our language, it would say, who cares? This is what Paul says, who cares? Why, Paul? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. He's in jail, in jail for, for doing what is right. People outside the jail are making up lies about him, lies about his gospel, lies about his relationship with the Lord, lies about the reality of his ministry. You know what Paul says? I don't care as long as the gospel is furthered. Contentment. 
That's contentment in the gospel. That's contentment in who we are in the gospel. Contentment in why we exist for the gospel. It's not just getting saved and so that we can live the American dream out and have our sins forgiven. It's getting saved so that we can live for the glory of God and give up these years we have on this earth so that He has promised, and He's promised us eternity in exchange for 50, 60, 70, 80 years. You, you live for my glory here on this earth and I will make it all worthwhile for all eternity. And the th- this same theme is, pro- is prominent throughout the Bible that no matter what, that God's name would be honored, that the doctrine of this word would be protected, guarded, that, that the gospel would be advanced. You see it in, in Isaiah 52.5. I've got a bunch written here, and for the sake of time, I'm only going to read a couple. But in Isaiah 52.5, he, he, says, he says, and again, these verses are speaking to the reality that God's name, the character of God, the truth of God, if we're not careful, can be blasphemed through the lives of His believers. That's the warning. He says, now therefore, what do I have here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people have taken away without a cause? Again, the Lord declares, those who rule over them, how? And my name is continually blasphemed all day long. Romans 2, verse 24, he says, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. He's talking to his people. He's talking to the Jews. That God's name was blasphemed because of you. Our lives ought to back up this word. Our lives ought to back up what we declare about the awesomeness of God. And everything, no matter what, done to the glory of God. You can go to James 2.7, you can go to 1 Peter 4.4, 4, you can go to 1 Peter 4.14-16, 2 Peter 2.2, 2, all, all to the glory of God. Second Peter, Second Peter two two. He says, "Many will follow them, and because of them, the way of." That's not what I wanted to read. I, oh, I'm looking at the wrong. I'm looking at the whole wrong book. Sorry. The point is this: be careful through how you live. Be careful. Be careful that you're not maligning the name of God, our great King. You're not maligning the name of Christ through how you live. Through, through circumstances, even bad ones, God is declaring His greatness through you and me, through His soldiers, to a watching world. And again, this seems totally out of place, even in, to, to man and the world and to worldly wisdom. Again, it goes back to man's wisdom and God's wisdom. In verses 3 through 5, listen to what Paul says. Even in his day, this was the battle. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of with the with sound words those of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the doctrine conforming to godliness he is conceited and understands nothing but he has morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words about which arise envy strife abusive language evil suspicions and constant friction between men of depraved mind and a depraved depraved truth who suppose listen here's the issue who suppose that godliness is a means of gain Christianity, the gospel, is not a means of worldly gain. God is not our butler. He's not our, he's not our genie in a bottle. He doesn't exist to make us happy here on this earth. He, he, we exist for Him. That's the reality. We exist for His glory. And the issue becomes, what is gain? What, what is the goal of our lives? Self-glory, God's glory. The issue at hand here is, will we as believers lose our, give over our lives for God's glory? And is that gain? Or will we believe what the world says and say that that's a wasted life? And it's going to boil down to faith. Hebrews eleven six. 6, without faith, impossible to please God. Listen to what it says. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder 
of those who seek him. What's faith? It's believing God is who he has revealed he says he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And when we believe that, you know what you do? You pursue the reward. And I go back, an infantile understanding of who God is and an infantile, an infantile understanding of the gospel creates infantile behavior. And what Paul is saying is the world would, would seek social reform and self-help, but these never deal with the root of the problem. Our sinful heart is the root of the problem. Why does slavery exist in the first place? We're sinners. We take advantage of other people for our good. We're sinners. And, and listen, if we, if we approach life that way, about social reform and just helping people out, we miss the point. Our approach to our circumstances is not primarily about social reform or self-help, but the redemption of sinners. Sitting in prison, as Paul did, unwarranted, what would be totally, uh, and, and when he's totally innocent, would be, would be ridiculous to have joy and contentment there if it was only about social gain. Ridiculous. And yet, the whole Praetorian Guard had learned about the gospel through his slavery, through his imprisonment. You and I are here to seek and save the lost. And how do we do that? By conforming our lives to the godliness of the Word of God in front of those people we're trying to seek. We're not just trying to make the world a better place to go to hell from. We're, we're not just pacifying someone's cough when they have lung cancer. The issue, is, the issue is sin. And the goal of everything here was the goal was the gospel. It was godliness of God's people before a watching world. Verses 1 make that clear. Verses 3 make that clear. Verse 6, and this is sort of the hinge verse. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment contentment when the gospel when our when our salvation really takes root and matures in our heart when our contentment is in god and not in our circumstances social issues begin to fall in place our our mission for life begins to fall in place the reason for our existence orphan care widow care all these things that god has called us to begin to fall in place we sunday afternoon and I say this just in the context of this. Please hear me. Sunday afternoon, there's about eight kids running around my house. I'm trying to watch a golf tournament. About eight kids running to my house. Nerf darts are flying everywhere. Karen's somehow, she's in, in asleep, and she ain't really asleep with eight kids running around our house. She's quiet in that bed. Phone rings. Save families. Hey, can you guys take in two kids? Take in two kids. I got ten running around my house right now. My wife's asleep. This is summer. So we take them in. The other day, we were sitting down at the dinner table, and I said, and again, they're here today. Please don't mention this to them. But I said, hey, guys, you ever heard of Jesus? You know who Jesus is? Both of them said, we've never heard of Jesus. I said, do you mind if I tell you about Jesus? I mean, not, not that I wasn't. I mean, we're not going to say no. I guess I could have been respectful. But, and, and listen, he, and, and this is a seven-year-old and a five-year-old, and, five and, and, and they're very honest, and, and I'm telling them the story, and I, get to, I start at creation, and we're walking through, hopefully on their level. We get to the point where he dies, and Jaden says this, I don't like that story. That's scary. Why do you have to die? And Karen jumped in, the librarian in here said, hey, it gets better. It's not the end yet, it gets better. But again, my point in saying that is the goal, the goal of us taking these kids in is not our glory. It's not just to pacify them. It's, to, it's, to, it's the redemption of their sins. It's to share the gospel with them. The, the goal of everything else I do, hopefully, is, is the gospel in them. Is it costly? Yeah. Does it reveal? Here's the struggle with bringing in two kids into my home. I realize that I'm a selfish, just no good wretch. 
My contentment is in having things the way that I like them. My contentment is having two kids that understand the deal and they make my life easy. And you bring in two kids that don't understand the way our household works and it disrupts everything. You know what? You know what that shows in me? My contentment really isn't in God. Kind of in God, but it's also in having things the way that I like them. Having an easy life. Having a life with little disruptions. Having a life with little distractions. Having kids that can feed themselves and can sleep in until 9 o'clock, and when they get up at 9 o'clock, they can feed themselves. And guess what? We got two that don't. Having kids that can swim and do, every, do a lot of stuff for themselves, and guess what? Now swimming in the pool is me keeping two kids' head above water. The, the question is, is, my content, is it about me? Or is it about the gospel? And I'm very good at confusing my contentment in the gospel with contentment in me and contentment in circumstances. And, and, and as believers, as believers, you see on your handout, we have been bought and belong to another through the gospel in order to bring God glory through our lives. It is about God's glory. You, you go to Isaiah 48, your, your salvation God redeeming you as a sinner, it was not about you, it was about God's glory. Listen, listen to Isaiah 48, 9 through 11. For my sake, for the sake of my name, I delay my wrath. And for my praise, I restrain it for you, in order to not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. Listen to verse 11. For my own sake... For my own sake, God says, I will act. For how can my name be profaned and my glory I will not give to another? Listen, and, and if you don't know this God, that can, become a, that can seem like an odd statement, that God does everything He does for His own glory. But listen, who else would He do it for? Who's higher? What glory would He pursue other than His, which is the greatest? Therefore, it makes sense if God would do everything for His glory, His people should probably do everything for His glory. And, and my, my, I, my fear is, is that why we struggle so much in Christianity and, and why it's such a battle is because our, our flesh fights submission on all fronts. We, we fight embracing what the Bible, our flesh fights with us in embracing what is gain. What is true gain? Is godliness gain? Is giving of yourself for the glory of God and the advancement of God's kingdom, is that gain? Or is garnering all the things of the world that you can garner for yourself, is that gain? That's the battle. What is gain? Is conforming your life to the image of Christ our Savior, is, no matter the cost, is that gain? Paul is sitting in a Philippian jail and the gospel being advanced, is that gain? Or is being free and then selfishly being in the prison of living for yourself and living for your own glory, is that gain? That's, that's the battle. And we, we love to see our lives as about ourselves. And we forget the part of the gospel there. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Receiving the gospel means this. I surrender lordship of my life to Jesus Christ. He and his father can do whatever he want, they want with me. Why? Because I trust him. I trust what they say is gain is gain by faith. It's denying self, crucifying self. It's contentment in the gospel. Why? Because I know the riches that are coming to me in the gospel. I understand that godliness is great gain when accompanied by contentment. And what we have to see and what Paul is helping Timothy be to understand but also to preach as you see on your handout god can position believers his soldiers anywhere anytime and in any circumstance that he deems appropriate to spread his glory and to spread his gospel 
Excuse me. That's the bottom line. The commanding officer, the general, he can position his soldiers anywhere he wants in order to win the battle that he knows better than you and I. That's the bottom line. And our call is to obey. Our call is to go. Our call is to surrender our lives to His commands. Even in chapter 9 of Romans, you know, I won't read the whole thing, but you look at verse 20 or 19. You will say then to me then, why does he still find fault for who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? What if God, though willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy. Paul says, who are you, O man, to find fault with God? Who who are we to question God? The maker. I mean, Jim Hampton to tell you, Shanna Haskell to tell you, you don't question the commanding officer. You, you trust him. You do what he says. And, and, and you see it on your handout. God has every right to do with any single one of us whatever he wants in order to accomplish his purposes. He has every right to do whatever he wants with your life and my life. Every right. And we, that's where contentment in who God is. Contentment in, in the goodness, in the character. Contentment in how God has revealed Himself. Seeing God for who He truly is and being content with that. Seeing ourselves for who we truly are as non-believers and now by God's will we were, we're, we're believers. Seeing, seeing that. Making godliness paramount. Again, back to chapter 4. Physical discipline is only good for a season, but godliness, godly discipline is good for all seasons. What is gain? What's the gain? But not only contentment through our circumstances, real quick, point number 2 on your handout, our pursuit of godliness involves contentment in God's provision and the use of this provision for God's glory and not our own. So it's not only using our circumstances for God's glory and not our own, it's using God's provision for His glory and not our own. And this flows exactly out of what we just saw. The question still on the table is this, what is gain? Is it gain? Is it just garner all we can of the things of this world and whoever gets the most wins? Is it who can live for self the most? Or is gain who can empty themselves the most for God's glory? What is gain? And Paul, Paul go, he, he'll say, For we have brought nothing, verse 7, into this world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. In contrast to that, but those who want to get rich fall in temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love, not money, for the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Go over to verse 17 real quick. We're going to come back to 11 through 16. Instruct those who are rich in this present world, not to be conceited, and here's the, here's the whole point, or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God, who richly supplies us with all things. Th- that's the battle. Is our hope in God? Or is our hope in riches? That's the battle. It's my battle. It's your battle. You know, you, you, Friday we, we took the kids to lunch and they met their mom and she brought a friend and, again, buy them lunch. It's expensive. But is it worth it? 
go to Walmart, you buy them clothes and things they need. Is it worth it? Sacrifice of your own, stuff that you could be using for your own self. Foregoing maybe, maybe a dinner for yourself. Is it worth it for the gospel? Is it worth it to be obedient? Is it gain? And Paul tells us here very clearly in these verses, there's a progression starting in verse 7. And you see it on your handout. It goes like this. First of all, we believe the lie that we deserve more than we deserve. Verse 7, we brought nothing into this world. We can't take anything out. Then, then, why? Because we deserve it, verses 9 and 10, we pursue these things even in ways that are sinful. That's what he says. Those who want to get rich fall into many problems. Why? Because they'll do anything and everything in order to get rich. Even sin. You can go to James and you see the same progression. Then we, become, we begin to take credit for the things we have. That's verse 17. Do not be conceited. You take credit for the things you have, like you did it instead of God. Then we have pride over having done this ourselves, so now we have an ownership mentality instead of a stewardship mentality. I own it, so I can do whatever I want with it. Instead of a stewardship mentality that says, God, it's all yours, it's all from you, I'm just here to dole it out on your behalf. You see the progression. And that's our battle. What's gain? Is giving stuff away on behalf of the glory of God gain? Because on a world's accounting system, that does not equal gain. That equals loss. But in faith, he says it's gain. Dying to self. The world system, that's not gain. God's system, God's wisdom, it's gain. What's gain? And, and in verses 11 through 16, that's what Paul addresses here. Flee from these things. Not toy with them, not dabble with them. Flee, you man of God. And again, he goes back to the gospel. And pursue righteousness, pursue godliness, pursue faith, pursue love, pursue perseverance, pursue gentleness. Verse 12, fight the good fight of faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and to Jesus Christ who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's coming. How will he find his bride when, she, when he comes? Which he will bring about at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, King of kings, Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality, dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. The, the issue, you see it on your handout, the heart, not stuff, is the issue. It's the heart. It's not wrong to enjoy things. Again, right there in verse 17, he gives us to enjoy. But do you enjoy giving it away? Part of your enjoyment is, it, is, is giving it away? Is... is is part of your enjoyment seeing it used for God's kingdom and not your own? Is that part of your enjoyment? And again, the, the issue is the heart. We battle, you and I battle, trusting our resources instead of the God who provides the resources. And that's Matthew 6. Where your, where, your, where your heart is, there's a direct connection there between heart and money. Where your money is, where your resources go, where your time goes, that's where your heart is. Regardless of what we say, that's where our heart is. For me, for you, and again, verse 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. But, but by faith do we believe that. By faith, do we believe that? 
And, and it, again, you can go to Philippians 4. It's a learned, contentment, learned thing. You're gonna, you learn to be content by living by faith. You learn to trust God by living by faith, by seeing Him be faithful. And our satisfaction is in God and not material things. It's not in material things. That, we have to understand that. That's, that's verses 18 and 19. Instruct them to, be good, to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so they may take hold of that which is life Indeed, God has offered you life indeed, an abundant life. But it's in following Him. It's in dying to self. It's not in the ways of this world. And, and verse 12, he makes it very clear. Fight the good fight. Believers are always at war in an effort to live for, live for God over self. Even in verse, that's throughout this book, 1.8. He says, strongly engage. Strongly engage in the battle. You can go throughout the Bible. Hebrews 12, 4, 1 Peter 2, 11, Jude 3, 2 Timothy 2, 3, 2 Corinthians. We're, we're to fight a fight. Even the language here, verse 11, flee. Verse 12, fight. Verse 13, charge. Verse 14, keep. It's a war. And there's a fight. There's a fight in every single one of our hearts. And it's to believe God and His Word in the midst of this world, in the midst of what this world calls us and tells us. That's the fight. And Paul here gives us quickly some truths to cling to, some truths that we can cling to to fight. And, and the first one is in verse 12, you have been called. You're His child. God has chosen you. He's on your side. Romans 8, if God is for you, who can be against you? Not only that, but your life is lit to be lived in light of God's presence. I charge you in the presence of God. You, you don't, your, your sins aren't secret. Your life is not secret. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Presence of God. Verse 13, it's the faithfulness of Christ. We can trust in the faithfulness of Christ. God is, Christ is faithful. God is faithful. Verse 14, Christ is returning for His people. There is a day coming, 1 Corinthians 3, where every single believer is going to give an account. Non-believers are going to be judged. Believers are going to be judged on their stewardship of their Christian life. We are going to stand at the Bema seat and give an account for how we stewarded Christianity. And Paul is saying, fight. When He returns, be found faithful. Be found engaged in the battle. Don't be found falling in love with the things of this world. And, and I love what he says, and I'll close here for the sake of time in verse 15 and 16. Really what Paul is saying, and the whole point is this. Live in awe of God's greatness. How will you fight? How, how will you deny self? How will you do all these things? It's by living in awe of God's greatness. And this is where knowing God, knowing the God of this gospel fuels our ability to fight. It fuels our faith. And listen, when he, listen to some truths, and they're on your handout. The God of the Bible is sovereign, all-powerful. Everything that happens in your life, listen to me, everything that happens in your life, God is sovereign. He's sovereign. You may not understand it, He's sovereign. He has a morally sufficient reason for it. He has every right. He's sovereign. The God of the Bible is king over all kings. He's king over all kings. He makes that very clear in verse 15 as well. He's sovereign. He's king of kings. The God of this Bible is immortal. He says that in verse 16. No beginning, no end. He says he's unapproachable. The God of this Bible is unapproachable. Paul says the same thing in Romans 11. He's unfathomable. The God of this Bible is beyond comp comprehension. And lastly, the God of this Bible is worthy of all praise. You know, we, when we started five and a half years ago, John 17, 3 was really a founding verse, that they may know God and Jesus Christ whom He sent. This is eternal life. 
And what I want us is what I want to challenge you with today is this: God is the gain of Christianity. He's the gain. We we can know Him, be known by Him, be cared for Him. And verse twenty, O Timothy, I would close the letter as Paul does. O Timothy, I would say this: O Church at Odessa, guard. What has been entrusted to you. Avoid worldly and empty chatter, and the opposing arguments is what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. Guard it. Men in your homes, guard it. Moms in your homes, guard it. At work, guard it. At school, guard it. On the sports fields, guard it. When you're in the privacy of your home and nobody's around you, guard it. Through everything you seek to do, guard it. On your college campuses, guard it. When you're out with your friends, guard it. Through how you live. Live every day in a fight for the gospel. A fight for the gospel. Hold fast to the gospel. Be willing to defend the gospel at all costs. Not only for yourselves, but for the world around you. 